time for almost definitely three-fifths of the work week. It is Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I am Carson Stooley, Fangraphs contributor. On this particular edition of the pod, we invite to the roundtable our full-time employee, Dave Cameron, and one of our brothers from Rotographs, Mr. Eno Saris. In our discussion, we hope to look at maybe the layman's perspective on the draft. After the most recent podcast, an analysis of the draft with our own prospect mavens, Brian Smith and Mark Hewlett, Cameron and Saris give us another perspective. We start with last year's draft phenom, Steven Strasberg, and look as closely as possible at his debut. We look at this year's number pick, Bryce Harper, and attempt to anticipate his significance at the major league level. And finally, a point we touched on in that pod with our prospect mavens, we look at draft as event. Is the draft watchable now, and what would make it more watchable? The answer to this question, and so much more, on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Yes, indeed, it's another episode of Fangraphs Audio. Sitting about the curiously round table, we have with us a couple gentlemen you'll recognize definitely from the pod. Of course, one of them is our uh, weekly contributor, our full-time employee. He's also a uh, owner-operator of USS Manor, contributor to the Wall Street Journal. He is Dave Cameron. Dave, how are you today? Hey. I'm good, Carson. How are you? Good. It's nice to have you back, of course. Is uh, the weather still beautiful down there in the southeast? Uh, it's a little too hot today. I think we're in the like, well, mid-90s with a little humidity. It's, uh, it's a little sticky. Oh, man. I feel really bad for you. Uh, very good. Moving on. Uh, we also have another guy you'll have uh, become accustomed to hearing him on the fantasy version of the podcast. However, he's uh, he's... You know he's a team player and he's uh, he's got a great uh, broad base of skills. He is Eno Saris. How you doing, Eno? Thank you, thank you, and uh, it's great to be here. You now, you, you know, you're also contributing to Amazing Avenue and Bloomberg these days. Is that right? That's right. I'm about to start something else up. So, uh, you mean quit my day to, job. You hope you don't start something on this podcast. We uh, <laughs> we have enough fisticuffs, I think, as it is. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I guess we will see how it goes. Well, how about let's start seeing how it goes uh, post-haste. The uh, first topic of discussion today will be with regard to Steven Strasburg. Strasburg, um, and uh, and actually, I'm sure because you guys are dedicated pod listeners, you'll have already listened to the uh, to the conversation I had uh, earlier with uh, our resident prospect mavens, Brian Smith and Mark Hewlett. Um, we were we had sort of noted how uh, the, how good the timing was uh, for Strasburg's debut because it happened uh, to occur during the middle of the um, the, the the draft this season uh, and of course Strasburg was the sort of all the rage uh, last year at this time uh, for what his potential might be. Well, anyway, as that draft was going on, Strasburg was en route to as our own Jack Moore suggested, uh, to one of the most efficient starts of all time, striking out 14 guys in a mere 94 pitches, and generally being the Steven Strasburg, we expected it even more so. Let's start just with some basic reactions to that. Uh, Cameron, you know, I guess, uh, did Strasburg surprise you at all with what he brought, or you know, maybe because it was the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, actually not that shocking at all? You know, I mean, I don't think anyone expected him to strike out 14 guys. I mean, uh, I think Tom Tango ran a poll on his blog uh, in the afternoon, and the mean strikeout prediction was like six or seven. And uh, so I think uh, it'd, be, it'd be fair to say that he exceeded all expectations. It was one of the best major league debuts ever. Uh, you know, I, I was sitting there watching it, and I'd seen him pitch before, so the stuff wasn't that surprising, but it was 
uh, it was incredible how effectively it translated to major league hitters where I thought like, you know, his command's not the best. And so I thought maybe he'd fall behind and he'd have to groove some two Oh three, one fastballs and they'd be able to turn on him and put him in the gaps. But you know, he was just throwing it by people and it might be because those people were Ronnie Cedeno and Delwyn Young and, you know, lasting's millage. But, uh, you know, for a major league debut, it was remarkably impressive. And uh, I, you know, you, in, you, in a post, um, you know, in the last week now on the, uh, the site, you uh, you did a, provided the reader a bit of misdirection by saying you know oh what a start that was uh, you know I think it was you know allowed four hits fastball uh, topping out in the in the low hundreds and a nasty changeup and and curve piece to go along with it how about that Ubaldo Jimenez uh, you, you know you're you're sort of uh, of the, of the camp maybe that says that while we ought to be excited about Strasburg we oughtn't forget that there are there's at least one other pitcher in the league with similar stuff, who probably, you know, even despite the fact that he's running like a uh, sub-1 ERA, may not uh, get the sort of attention that he deserves. Are you still in that camp? Do you think that, uh, you know, say, from here on out, uh, we can expect Jimenez to be the better pitcher than Strasburg? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that, I like, I honestly think it's close. But I think that that, that post was essentially inspired by a couple of things. One is, like, during the game, you heard, uh, you know, <laughs> the genius of Rob Dibble and, you know, some other commentators afterwards talking about how this was the best stuff that anyone has ever seen. And, you know, I like Strasburg's stuff is legitimately awesome, but uh, Ubaldo Jimenez's stuff is really, really close. And so when people talk about, oh, this is, you know, clearly no one has ever pitched like this and we have to throw out all of our prior preconceptions of how pitchers can, how good they can be or what Strasburg's ceiling is because we've never seen a guy like this before. Like we're, we're kind of seeing a guy similar to this right now. I mean, it might not be exactly the same, but Jimenez throws just as hard. His curveball and changeup might not be as good, but he's also got a really nasty two-seamer and a cutter and uh, he's got a slider as well. So um, I, I was just trying to kind of maybe calm down the idea that Strasburg is a, a once-in-a-generation. We've never seen a guy throw 101 mile an hour before when we've got another guy doing it in the same league in the same year. And then also, you know, like not to, I don't, I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade, but at the same time, Steven Strasburg's a pitcher, and we had, you know, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. There's a long list of these guys who have been amazingly impressive and flamed out in an early age. So, just trying to, I mean, not to, I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from thinking that Steven Strasburg pitched really well the other day, but at the same time, any pitcher is a huge, huge risk. And, um, you know, Tim Lincecum came into the majors throwing 98, 99. Now he's throwing 91, 92. You know, it happens. And so while we should enjoy Strasburg throwing like this right now, I don't think we can start polishing his Hall of Fame plaque just yet. Okay. Uh, the, you bring up a lot of interesting stuff uh, that I want to touch on. I want to get, uh, I want to turn to Eno here for a second though. Eno, uh, I noticed on the, the Twitter the other day, Mark Normandin of Baseball Prospectus, who does a lot of work for them on the fantasy focus side of things, uh, he posted at one point, uh, do you want to know why I didn't, uh, you know, write about Steven Strasburg today? It's because he's owned in 100% of leagues, um, and therefore, you know, he's, he doesn't necessarily make for for a very interesting, uh, I guess, topic of conversation, at least among fantasy owners, because he's probably not available. I'm wondering, is that a similar experience you've had, and have you maybe uh, overlooked him just because he's either a guy you have on your team or don't? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have had a similar experience. Um, I kind of also uh, think back to uh, Alex Remington's words um, that there isn't really anything, you know, a, a lot of times when we write, we write about, oh, well, you know, he doesn't, he's not this good or he's not this bad. Um, we do a lot of analysis trying to get at the heart of the matter. And um, I think you sort of 
saw with Strasbourg coming up that uh, it was gonna it was gonna work out well, and so we couldn't do any gotcha pieces. And you know, he people drafted him uh, at the beginning of the year, so he was owned all the time. I, I haven't written a, a single piece on Strasbourg actually. Well, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and, and of course, you, you made a gesture there towards Remington's piece, which touches on this to some degree. I know around Fangraphs, uh, I think, uh, and I want to get to Cameron on this too afterwards. Uh, we we got some comments during the, um, we've got some comments on the site just basically with regard to a lack of coverage of Strasbourg. Obviously, that's not been the case in the mainstream media. Um, of course, one might argue now that Fangraphs, you know, with some of its popularity. Is you know inching closer to to that to something we might refer to as mainstream media, you know I you know I know that especially as a fantasy commentator too you are looking for the inefficiencies right Strasburg is uh, he is who we thought he is you know um, I'm curious you know is is that for some reason do you think he's a little bit less interesting to the baseball nerd maybe we view it as our task to say he's either better than we think he is or not as good Strasburg is this guy. Is he less interesting for that reason, is he, or is he someone we just have to sit back and enjoy? Well, uh, actually, what it what it did for me was uh, kind of special in a way um, because I'm not going to write about him, and I don't need to write about him um, from a fantasy perspective, at least. It really allowed me to be a fan again. Um, and what I did um, for the Strasbourg start was I had a, a tweet up, uh, and I encouraged uh, a bunch of my followers to come uh, meet me in a bar here in New York City, um, and we took over a bar uh, in the West Village. Uh, it was all ours, and uh, we had Strasburg up on the TV. I, I brought my computer, and we put Stanton on the uh, on the computer, and uh, we had the Mets and Yankees up too. But it was all about Strasburg, and we just we just really were in awe. Um, and I knew, I mean, the only thing that I can really think of from a fantasy perspective is I might write a, a piece later on about how, you know, maybe his innings limits, we don't really know what they are, we don't know what the Strasbourg rules are, so uh, perhaps he's a sell high at some point when you think that he's uh, starting to, you know, go up against his innings limits. Um, but uh, in that moment, I was just in the moment, just watching him blow away hitters um, and enjoying the company um of friends and uh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. You fun. actually you co-opted a bar and made it and made it the nerdiest bar in New York City for a short time. Is that what happened? <laughs> it sounds yeah, I, I guess. Know. But we weren't we weren't really we weren't really being that nerdy. I mean, we were saying things like, "That's a great, you know, that's a <laughs> that's an impressive fastball." <laughs> That's it. That, did you see that pitch? You know, so right, it wasn't uh, it wasn't too much about FIP or you know. Cameron, you know, same thing to you. Was it uh, was it an opportunity for you to sit back and enjoy? I mean, I know that your Jimenez piece might suggest differently, mm-hmm. but um, you know, Strasburg really was. Uh, he really did take over that particular game, and I'm I'm curious as to whether it sort of uh, uh, prevents you from being you know the nerd that you might be in other circumstances. Yeah, no. When I was watching the game, you know, I was trying. To, my wife is not a huge baseball fan. She is. She understands that. Uh, you know, I, I like certain Mariners and I hate Sean White. And you know, she has a passing understanding of the game in that way. But she's not really a huge baseball fan. So I was trying to convince her, like, hey, maybe you should watch this with me. This is crazy. And uh, I, it was at that point I realized that I was <laughs> not acting 
maybe like she's used to me acting when I watch a baseball game, yelling and throwing things and, you know, <laughs> cringing as uh, Josh Wilson steps to the plate or something. But uh, I was able to really just watch the game and say, oh, man, this was a, a terrific performance. And then afterwards, I got an email from Jeff Sullivan. And, uh, you know, he was asking me if that was the best performance I'd ever seen. And, uh, you know, I had to tell him no because I was at the Kingdom in, uh, I don't know, 96 or 97. Randy Johnson struck out 19 guys. And then I was at uh, Safeco Field when Pedro Martinez struck out 15. And um, so I think, you know, being in person, seeing those games uh, were probably the two most dominating pitching performances I've ever seen. But it was able to, at least that email sparked something where I was able to think back to those times and really remember what it was like to just be there in person when a pitcher completely takes over, and it's definitely one of the, the coolest times in baseball when a pitcher just destroys the entire lineup. Is that something you'd want to see? I mean, is it unique because it happens, you know, uh, with relative infrequency? Is that something you'd want to see all the time, necessarily? Um, you know, I don't know that I would ever not enjoy a pitching performance like that, even if it wasn't as rare. I think, like, there's just something about when you know a hitter has no chance. And, I mean, there were Pittsburgh Pirates hitters the other night who just looked like they just wanted to go take a seat and get out of the way because they, they knew they couldn't hit what, what he was throwing. And so when you see a pitcher throwing that well and just completely dominating a game, for me, that's as entertaining as baseball can get. I know some people like 11-9 or whatever, but you give me a, a 2 nothing game where one pitcher strikes out 17 guys and is in total control of the entire game, and, you know, I would enjoy that. Whether I, I could watch that every day. You know, quickly, just the same thing, same thing to you. Do you... I mean, the the, the uh, doesn't even necessarily have to be a pitcher's duel, I guess, because I don't think Jeff Karsten's uh, was <laughs> keeping up necessarily. But just to watch a, uh, a preposterous pitching performance like that is that one of the greater pleasures for you? I, I do, uh, I do enjoy it. I, the only caveat that I would give is that, uh, you know, the other night Josh Johnson and uh, Roy Halladay went at it, uh, and I think they both they they pitched like 17 innings combined, and I think it was a one nothing game. Uh, that element of who's going to win and uh, and maybe you know competition. I didn't really sense that from the uh, competition coming at Strasbourg. So just like a little bit, I would I would rather it just be you know have Strasbourg against somebody. You know Strasbourg against Halliday. You know something like that. Right. And in fact, but, I will say that uh, though we are uh, not that deep into the nerd era on uh, Fangraphs and beyond, that re- that game between Josh Johnson and Roy Halliday represented the first ever. Uh, meeting of of two perfect tens, and there are only five or six of them in the league. Um, yeah, that that was a pretty good game. Yeah, so I think that uh, you know this shows the infallibility of nerd at this point. Very <laughs> good. Uh, like we said, or as I mentioned uh, to start things off, Steven Strasburg was dazzling uh, people. I think it was uh, day two, day three of the of the Major League Baseball draft, and uh, it was during said draft that the um, that Strasburg's own Washington Nationals had once again the opportunity to make another number one pick, and they used it uh, kind of predictably on uh, a, a guy whose stature has probably been maybe if not quite the same as Strasburg's was at least pretty close. That's Bryce Harper. Um, you know, I'm just curious to, to both of your takes on Bryce Harper, you know, where you think he stands in terms of maybe, uh, you know, hype narrative and where he stands in, you know his uh, potential upside as he uh, as he enters the major leagues. Uh, Cameron, let's start with you there. Uh, you know it wasn't a big surprise that Harper went one. You've commented maybe that uh, he he will and or should step out from behind the plate and maybe become a right fielder. I'm curious as to just your general take on on Bryce Harper. Should we be as, as, as excited about him as we 
we were and continue to be about Steven Strasburg. Yeah, I mean, I think Strasburg, part of the, part of the, uh, thing about him is he was so close to the majors. Like, there was every probability that Strasburg could have pitched in the major leagues the day after he was drafted, and that's not true of Harper. Like, Bryce Harper could not step in and play for the Nationals tomorrow. So I think that there's slightly different situations. But in terms of high school hitters, we haven't, I mean, you know, now he's a junior college hitter, but he's 17, so I'll still refer to him as a high school hitter. Um, we haven't seen kids like this too often. I mean, you know, you look back at some of the best 17, 18-year-olds who've gotten drafted who are offensive prospects, not necessarily up the middle guys with projectable bodies or something. But, you know, like you look at the Justin Uptons and those kind of prospects, Harper blows them all out of the water in terms of power. Like it's very, very rare to see a kid this young who can hit a ball as far as he can. There's not, you don't have to wonder if the power is going to come. It's already there. I mean, he's got monstrous, monstrous power right now. And so really the question is the rest of his game. And, you know, he's got a good strong arm and he's a good athlete, but the rest of his game needs some polish. So, It'll be interesting to see what he does in the minors. I think, uh, for me, I think a, a natural comparison might be a guy like Josh Hamilton, who's just so talented physically. He didn't even really need all that much development time that he lost to all his drug problems and still came into the majors and performed pretty well. And so uh, hopefully Harper can avoid all those personal problems. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Harper turned into a similar kind of player. And, you know, even if he's not a catcher long term, I think having a uh, a guy who can hit 300 with 40 home runs a year and hopefully draw some walks and play some pretty good defense, uh, you know, that'll be a nice addition to the Nationals franchise. Right. Hey, listen, you know, I'm curious. You know, I play in a league right now that allows, uh, you know, allows us to um, take young players, take prospects ahead of time. And, in fact, we have a proxy system. So someone's actually owned Bryce Harper since, uh, I think, like for like a year and a half now at this point. I'm curious, wow. uh, from a uh, fantasy perspective, you know, where does uh, Bryce Harper sort of fit in on your radar? If uh, like, what sort of league would it require for me to be interested in him right now? And uh, is the person who took Bryce Harper a uh, a nut job, or do they do they know what they're talking about? Oh well, that's uh, there's a lot of levels to that to unpack, uh, and I think a lot of it touches on those couple articles that Dave wrote um, about his position. And I will say that the first article I I sort of disagreed with at first the idea that he shouldn't be a catcher uh, because I've seen sort of the development path of other players where you know almost almost everybody's a shortstop in in high school you know almost you know Chipper Jones these guys were shortstops in high school and you let them play shortstop until you realize that you can best use them somewhere else so um, my first instinct was to say. You know what, uh, Bryce Harper is playing catcher now. Let's play catch, let's have him play catcher until he shows us that he can play catcher and then we'll move him somewhere else, uh, to, to best take advantage. Once I saw Dave's second piece about it though, um, I started to feel a little bit differently and, and there's this, there's an added wrinkle. He, if he signs a major league contract, then it's, it behooves the nationals to get him to the major leagues as quickly as possible. So the best way to do that is to, Sort of move him away from anything that he that he where he might have to struggle for a long time to figure out how to be a catcher. Put him in right field, get him in there, and and get the most value out of him as you can. So actually moving him off a catcher in that way is really great for fantasy owners because his path to major leagues is much shorter now. Now is, uh, is he someone who's on your fantasy radar for next season then? No, but in the kinds of leagues where you would actually pick him up. Uh, those are usually keeper leagues, uh, maybe with minor league spots and stuff. So it, I think he's on my radar. Yeah, I would pick him up in 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 some of my leagues if uh, I didn't have rules that kept me from doing so in, in many of them. 
And and of course the other wrinkle is that you know as a catcher he would have been worth more uh, with with uh, with position scarcity and stuff. But you know if his bat is that special and and, and he's been playing with wooden bats already, um, I think that you just really want to you just really want to get him if you can. Right. And and anybody who's not anybody who's playing in a league where they've got any roster spot available and and minor leaguers like this are are important should should find a place for them. Yeah, Cameron. Now midweek you made a you made some comments about how it sort of would uh, there's almost a, a moral debate going on here where it would behoove the Nationals to take him out from behind the plate, um, and this is sort of maybe a continuation of the fact, uh, sort of harkening back to those days when we would look at uh, Dusty Baker and his usage patterns for Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood, and you know young pitchers in general, and how is this similar? Uh, for you, how is this similar? Looking at Bryce Harper, his future in the major leagues, and how the Nationals play him. Yeah, I think in that piece, it wasn't so much trying to compare like the Nationals playing Bryce Harper as a catcher to abusing a young pitcher like Dusty Baker and Dallas Green and some of those guys did, but it was more just responding to the attitude that honestly I just hate of uh, this guy is uh, not a human being, and the Nationals should just destroy his career for to get most the most value out of it while well, they can have him for the first six and a half years before he hits free agency and whatever he does after that doesn't matter at all. Like I, I just, I abhor that attitude and it was pretty pervasive in the comments uh, of my initial post about Harper. And so I was really pushing back against that, that idea that these players are assets who we should just dispose of and these teams should show no long-term interest in and really just be as self-serving as humanly possible wouldn't and be short-sighted in it. Uh, like, you know, I tried to use the college baseball example where a lot of these college coaches have just destroyed kids' arms uh, in pursuit of championships because these kids are going to get drafted. They're not going to be there. They're not going to pitch for the University of Texas in a year or two, so why do I care if they're going to go have Tommy John surgery in six months? I'm going to try and win this game. And uh, it's hurt the college baseball as a whole. I and mean, there's a tons and tons of pitchers who would much rather get developed by professional coaches who are going to look out for their best interest than go to college. And so, you know, the game as a whole has suffered. And I would hate to see baseball miss out on a chance to have a true superstar 15-year potential Hall of Fame bat uh, develop into the kind of player he could be and have to retire at 29 or 30 because he blew up both of his knees uh, because the Washington Nationals were trying to eke out an extra half a win out of his value. Like To me, I think we just need to take a longer-term view, and maybe it's not a moral issue, but it's, a, it, it's just not being short-sighted and treating these players like they aren't human beings with lives and careers and families and uh, you know, Bryce Harper's worked really hard his entire life. I don't think that the Nationals have an ethical right to just burn his entire life's work to the ground in an effort to try and eke out an extra win here or a win there um, when the when the chances of him having a significantly longer career playing the outfield are uh, much, much better. Right. You know, uh, this may shock you guys to, to learn, but uh, during the draft um, this past week, there was actually uh, a few more players selected uh, than just Bryce Harper. I know that may, that may come as a shock. You know, a curious thing to me, though, is is the draft as an event, and this is this is something I talked about with Brian Smith and Mark Hewlett a little bit. Of course, their opinions, you know, might be skewed a little bit just because they, they do tend to be more interested in the prospecting side of things, which isn't to say that you guys aren't or I'm not, uh, but that's sort of... Uh, their uh, no, actually, I, I'm not. <laughs> well, okay. Well, this is interesting to me, and this is where I kind of want to start off. Is uh, we just we touched on it briefly as the the draft is an event, and of course it is different in terms of stature than the uh, 
than the NFL draft, for example, and certainly than the than the NBA draft. Uh, there are some reasons right off the top of my head I can think of. For example, we know for the fact that like when we see uh, you know many of the drafts in the NBA, for example, that these guys will be playing next year. I'm curious for you guys, uh, a what you think of as draft as the draft as an event. And B, is that, is that the only reason why you want to watch? Is because you don't necessarily know if, when or if at all you're going to be seeing these guys. Eno, I'm going to start with you because I know for a fact that you didn't watch a second of the draft. My question is, you know, you're a baseball fan. Why is that the case? Oh, I think you touched on it. Uh, the, in the NBA, the first round, they, they're all going to play. Uh, the NFL, you know, it goes a couple rounds deeper. Um, you, you've seen these players play, uh, on a national level. Maybe I, maybe I should watch more, or more college baseball and I would, I would know more of these players, but I don't, I don't know many of them and there's so much attrition. I just, I, I just, I love promise and I love rookies and I love double A studs and I, I will, I will go down to the double A. My knowledge goes down to double A, maybe some high A guys, maybe some, some top draft picks that come up, but, I don't really, um, I don't have enough space in my head um, to know high schoolers. I mean, Brian Smith is, is, uh, and I love him for it, but I, he's, he's projecting next year's draft already, uh, which just seems uh, insane to me. Right. Um, so you think that even they, as, is it even as a, uh, as a fan who skews nerdy, uh, you think that maybe going down below Double A is just, it's kind of out of your wheelhouse. Well, it just, yeah, I mean, especially since I play major league fantasy, I don't know, maybe there's some minor league fantasy leagues out there, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking for people who are going to succeed at the major league level, and there's just already so many players that do really well in double A that can't make it in, uh, in the majors. So, why don't I just focus on the guys who made it to double A, um, and then I can try and figure out which of those guys will make it. Uh, that, that cuts out, uh, so many players, and it's, I just honestly, it's a, it's the re, the resource is my brain, and uh, it's a scarce one. So uh, I just gotta, I gotta keep, I gotta be selfish about it, and sort of, uh, so, you know. Okay, all right. So Cameron, <laughs> uh, for Eno, it's a, it's a lack of, uh, it's a lack of, of essentially, uh, hard drive, right? You know, he, uh, <laughs> you know, he views it as a, as a chance. He, you know, he can only have so much information in it, or in his brain, or, or so much information that he cares to store in it. I'm wondering if, if for you, if it's a different thing. I think you watched probably more of the draft than Eno. If if so, why is that the case? What does the draft offer you that maybe it doesn't offer Eno? Um, well, I think that uh, there's something to Eno's point, and I think we all pick and choose what things we uh, specialize in or enjoy or get good at. And you know, it's probably one of the reasons I don't play fantasy baseball is I don't, you know, to dedicate my life to. Or not necessarily my life, but to dedicate that amount of time to understand, uh, which players do well in what kinds of leagues and manage 17 rosters and, uh, all the time that Eno puts into fantasy, I just put into, you know, following other parts of the game. And so we're maybe probably not that much different. Maybe we're just focusing on different things. And so, uh, yeah, I watched a good chunk of the draft, uh, almost all of Monday and then, uh, the, the painfulness of Tuesday when MLB Network really screwed the pooch on their coverage, but we won't get into that too much. Um, but I think, like, to me, the draft is, offers a lot of interesting stories. I think there's a lot of things that come out of the draft that I just find really fascinating. I mean, the Dodgers' selection of Zach Lee is this kid who has basically no intention of playing baseball, is going to go to LSU and be their quarterback. Uh, you know, that's a really interesting story of this team that's broke, that drafted the hardest-signed guy in the, in the entire draft, 
uh, it seems like a pretty clear ploy of trying to roll their pick over to next year when they actually might have some money and the owners who aren't going through a divorce. To me, that's just a really interesting story. And, you know, Harper's an interesting story. There's a lot of guys in this, in the draft that are just interesting to talk about. And, you know, realistically, as a, as a full-time baseball writer, it's kind of my job to know a lot of these things that go on. So I, I would almost feel neglectful if I didn't watch the, uh, watch the major league draft. In terms of how it's packaged, uh, do you think that even though that maybe some of the players are you know more obscure i mean obviously i mean we never see them again it, what if what if the major league uh, you know either mlb network or espn or something you know what if they were able to get us interested in these guys like s- sort of the same way that they do for the olympics you know where there's like a uh, speed skater from finland who we never heard of before never will hear of again but for whatever 15 minutes you know we learned the fact that uh you know he lost his hand in a in a fishing boat accident or something like that it can get us excited is that the sort of thing that would would make it more appealing to you Cameron or no um maybe not to me but certainly i think it would make it a wider appeal and it's like not a bad idea i mean i don't know how many guys who don't have hands are going to get drafted into major league baseball but um i think that there is certainly uh, not to rip on Major League Baseball too much, but there are so many resources out there, and specifically like the guys at Baseball America. I mean, they flew Jim Callis out there, who knows? He's an encyclopedia of knowledge about these guys being drafted. And they turned to him like two or three times the entire night, and instead they let Jim Duquette and Harold Reynolds and John Hart babble on and call every pick a great pick. And, you know, I know the guys who were at BA were like throwing things across the room at some of these draft selections and had really strong, interesting opinions about some of these picks. But, of course, none of that's going to make it on TV. Instead, we just have Harold Reynolds calling every pick a, a fantastic player with upside. And so um, I certainly think there's more that Major League Baseball could do to make the draft interesting to more people and just to cover the draft better. I mean, I think it would, you know, just as a starting point, they should just hand the whole thing over to Baseball America and get out of their way. You know, is there a, is, is that something that would make the uh, entire event more appealing to you? That that actually really resonated with me. Um, what I would... What I would see as a difference um, is that NBA and, and uh, NFL can be more mainstream, um, that, that they can appeal to the fans of the teams, and they can say, hey, if you're a Giants fan, this guy's going to play on your team next year. This is really going to change everything. Um, but I think that the way that the MLB pa- uh, draft should really be uh, packaged is more uh, more nerdly. It should really be to the people who know some of these players, uh, to, to, to college fans, um, and to, uh, and they should really, I like that idea, really go with it and go and take Baseball America, take people who really know about each of these players and just, and hype up the nerd factor and really, really talk about each player as a player and their flaws and, and, and not really try to mainstream it because I don't, I just think it's not going to work as a mainstream thing just because of the realities of the numbers and and the way the different sports are structured. Although I'm sort of uh, reminded of, you know, cuz I think like even 10 years ago the NFL draft wasn't wasn't necessarily a huge event, but Mel Kiper almost single-handedly by means of having a, a you know, encyclopedic knowledge of the event kind of made that cool in a way. I don't know about cool, but uh, more palatable even for a larger audience. It seems like if you stick to the strengths of it, then you can actually create a situation where it becomes more palatable for everybody. I don't know. You know, uh, we t- we talked briefly about uh, putting Jim Callis and uh, giving him Mel Kiper's haircut. If that would maybe make it more appealing, <laughs> is that something you want to see? You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think I think there's a good uh, a good lesson to be learned there. I think uh, I think yeah, I think that you know Jim Callis could be the next Mel Kiper. It's just 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's the hair that's missing. But. Well, how about one final thing? What if instead of making the picks, uh, instead of instead of Bud Selig announcing it, we had uh, Samuel L. Jackson reading the picks? Does that does <laughs> well, that work for you? Enough? You're going more mainstream again, dude. I'm, I'm saying nerdier. Yeah, but who cares? Samuel Jackson's awesome. Dave, would you watch in that case? <laughs> uh, you know, I I would probably not enjoy Samuel L. Jackson, but I will I will say this: probably the most interesting NFL draft memory, at least in my that I can remember, um, is Mel Kiper just destroying. I believe it's the Indianapolis Colts when they took Trent Dilfer, the, the sixth pick, and. 93. I'm not gonna have the team in the year, whatever. Uh, but Kuiper just went off on the GM of the team for taking, I believe it was Trent Dilfer, uh, like sixth overall when he had some guy slightly higher on his board or something like that. And it was like really entertaining TV as the GM and Kuiper are going back and forth on each other. And I think this is one of the things where people were like, hey, look, we're getting an honest assessment of this guy's opinion of what this team just did. And it was, it was compelling and it was, uh, Kuiper made some good points and Trent Dilfer turned out to be terrible. And, you know, it was just really interesting stuff. And so when you put Major League Baseball just fluffing every pick and saying, man, this guy's really awesome. Good job, Cubs. Way to take this guy that most people didn't have in their top 150, 16th overall. Uh, you know, there's just nothing interesting about that. And so I think if we had a little bit more balanced, honest, uh, reactions, we could have some really good TV. Balanced, honest reactions are, that's the, uh, that's been the calling card, hopefully, of this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. I want to thank my guests for today, longtime contributor and full-time employee, Dave Cameron. Thank you, sir. Uh, you're welcome, Carson. Did you hear that segue, by the way? Did you hear what happened? That was amazing. No. Yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, to you, uh, as well, thank you for, uh, pulling double duty and, uh, helping us, helping us out with the, uh, Fangraphs, uh, podcast this week, in addition, uh, to the uh, excellent content you've typically provided for the uh, for the fantasy sti- side too. Too kind. Yeah. Thank you. I'm trying, I'm trying to be too kind. Anyway, uh, I am and uh, will continue to be Karsten Stooley, and this has been another white hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.